Andrew, why is this red button so important? It's important because lots of vision impaired people, older people in general, and um, people with epilepsy don't necessarily use computers. Sometimes they live in places where uh, reception for the internet is difficult. Some of them are very old and they don't want to be using computers. They can't cope with it. They need this vital service. They need the information on Teletext. Hello, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Teletext R podcast. Earlier this year, you may remember that we reported on the BBC Red Button Teletext service, which, since late last year, has unfortunately been threatened with switch off. But a lot of things have happened since then, changing the way we live and our overall worldviews. Today, we're going to get a little bit of an update as to what's going on with the BBC Red Button situation and the campaign to save it. We have Sarah, Shared Space Coordinator with the National Federation of the Blind, who has been heading said campaign. So, Sarah, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank you, Dan. That, that's wonderful to hear, yes. So, um, have you been out on the market stall recently? Oh, definitely. I have to... Um, well, well, my other job with the National Federation for the Blind, I'm the Shared Space Coordinator, but I'm also the lead on Save the Red Button Teletech service. I also have to sell my brother's bread. The bakery's been going 100 years. But what that does is give me a big connection to sort of normal people out there on the street that absolutely rely on this red button teletext service. So I've had quite a many conversation with people, not just telling me how this service benefits their life and keeps them connected to the world, but continually asking me, when is this decision going to be made to keep that red button teletext service on? So people are on tenterhooks. They're desperate to know what's going on because it's such a part of their everyday lives and so important to them. Oh, definitely. You know, it's a topic of conversation many a morning. I know that the sport's been hit during the, the lockdown and stuff, and a lot of people love to know what the football scores are because a lot of people can't, the older people can't get to the football matches. So that's like a massive connection to the game and what all the other teams are doing. Um, but we've got people, there's an elderly gentleman that's, um, he's actually disabled himself, and he's got a, a wife that has got early stage dementia who's in complete denial that this that she's got dementia. But what they can do is just sit, and because she can re-read the text again and again and again, she can get some awareness of what is actually happening around her in the world. And with lockdown, it was such a hugely sort of personal experience, those two people, they've been, I think, together over 60 years, sitting there, being able to read it, to give him his quiet time and her to have an understanding of the world. So, you know, and I don't think nobody in this country or possibly other places in the world have captured those very personal and very intimate relationship with this form of technology and one that is such a life changer for so many people that do rely on that service. That's so touching and I think the important part there is people get the chance to read the information in their own time. They don't have to listen to a newsreader read it where it might be more difficult to digest. Yeah, definitely. It's because A, they can access this information in their own time. And it's like reading a book, Dan. And I know you've got a passion for books. You can turn that page when you want to. 
So somebody can hold the page and they can read what's on there in their own time. The text, it simply doesn't move. It stops there. So unlike subtitling or when they're reading the news, the subtitles will come on. That goes sometimes far too fast and there's always a delay. So you're on to the next story, still trying to keep up with the old story. And everybody knows about the gaffes with with the subtitling. So if you get a word wrong, if I said something to you that was completely out of context in this conversation, it would mean nothing. And it's distorting the news. It's distorting the, the pure, honest narrative of the news. So people will get lost. And for deaf people, they can't hear the newsreader. They simply can't do it. And also, um, I'm a very passionate radio person as well. I love local radio and the radio systems, but they also have either a jingle or other news, or sorry, other noise behind the story, the, the spoken word of that, that, that news item. That again, for somebody that is sort of deaf or very hard of hearing or even got some hearing loss, it distorts the whole news story so they can't hear it, so they won't engage with it. So that very simple service of having a static text, it opens up a whole world for people. And the other really interesting one that came out when we were talking to different people, the whole diversity of people that use this system, is that if you don't have English as your first language, again, this allows you to be able to take in news. You know, so it is hugely, hugely powerful. Yeah, I didn't actually think of that before, but my own personal anecdotes, a few people have said to me, they learned English from either the BBC World Service or subtitles and CFAX. That must have been a, quite a while ago now because CFAX is long gone. But I, I think if we did lose the red button service, we'd not only lose something for, for those who are hard of hearing or visually impaired, it doesn't only benefit them, but it benefits a variety of other people who might be in different situations. It's so important to them making sure that their voice is heard. Oh, definitely. There's a lady that comes, Claire, to the market, and she has hearing aids, she can talk um, and everything. But she said to me, in the mornings, because the hearing aids aren't perfect, she likes to take them out, have her own personal time, quiet time, that she can then sort of read what is going on. And she'd be devastated if this service was taken off. Um, we've also done, and this is why this is sort of reared its head again at this time, is because we saw oh, this lady coming out of lockdown, got in contact with me called Sarah Hendry. And uh, it was basically, you know, my dad is 95, he's deaf, and he relies on this red button teletext service to keep him connected to the world. I got into a conversation with her and it basically, and I searched, you know, I usually do a Google search his name. Um, and this gentleman, he was on the D-Day ship. He was on HMS Ulster. He was oh, wow. fighting for the UK and the world's freedom from the tyranny. And he became deafened because he was on the guns. He's had a lifetime of tinnitus. And he says this is noises in his head. The French actually awarded him the um, Medal of Honour. I can't pronounce the name, but he got the highest level of, of honour in France for his, his role in the war. And he went last year back to the D-Day landing sites and in Normandy. And it was hugely powerful. And when you get an email drop into your inbox saying that, you know, please keep fighting for this red button. This is my dad's connection to the outside world. I wouldn't have had this freedom and a life that I've had without his 
support when he was a, a very young man. And I don't think none of us in the Western world um, would have had this freedom. My name is Ronald, Ronald Hendry, and I am 95 years old, heading towards the hundreds. Well, um, without it, it would be completely and utterly impossible to listen to the daily news because of the damage I'd done to my ears during the war and after. I have raging tinnitus in both sides of the head and uh, it, it, what noise I do hear is a squeaky noise that I can't define or understand any of it because it's so badly distorted. So therefore, I badly need teletext. So the, being static, I can read it, reread it, go back to it and, and analyze it completely. And being interested in current affairs, as I've always been, it is very interesting indeed to me. And I repeat over and over again, I, can, I cannot think what I would do without it. It's so, so important to me. It's just like now we're fighting a, a, a decision that was brought up with no real thought, no real consideration from the users that it impacts. So uh, since we've got Ronald's story, we, it has gone in the newspapers again, I've been tweeting it out like mad, um, and we've had a, um, another, I think, 40 or 50 sort of military, Navy connection um, organizations support the petition to save it so uh, i think it's vital that we don't leave these people in the dark and that's what ronald said i will be in the dark if this service is switched off and the other thing um dan we actually made a film called a message to the bbc director general i had to put it together during lockdown that was quite sort of traumatic to be honest because it was trying to deliver the bread that was three days a week and um sell at the market, deliver the bread, do the film. But we did it. And in right at the end, there's an, a gentleman that his job is like looks after retirement flats. They're, they're all privately owned. And he's ex-RAF. And he said to Lord Hall, he says, Lord Hall, you know, you, you owe it to this generation. These are the people that got us through the war. They need teletext. So it's not just Ronald. It's hundreds and thousands and probably millions of people out there that do need access to this service because if Lord Hall hadn't have been so astute to keep the button when we asked him not to turn it off at the end of January, you imagine, Dan, that during lockdown where people were totally isolated themselves anyway, if this is your only access of information, and we know that there are people that can only access this as their sort of main news during the day, what would have it been like for those people? It'd have been total, total isolation. And I think this has to be a wake up call to the BBC, to everybody in the UK, that everybody's access needs are really, really important. And it's up to the technological people and the, the, the people behind the system to work out how they can keep it running, how they can improve it, and, and realize it's the user wants a text on the screen. They want to be able to see and read it. If they can add a, a voiceover to, to the system, absolutely fantastic, because that would make it fully accessible for totally blind people. But we know there's a lot of people out there, with a, even with a tiny bit of sight, Dan, that can use it. I think, I'm, just give me one second, and I'm going to read out this email that we got 
This was back in February after the, um, an elderly child of a, a very elderly parent got in contact with us and it was, the subject was headed closure of the red button service. My father and myself would like to say a big thank you for the efforts to try to prevent the closure of the BBC's red button service and would like to add my, our support for your continuing efforts. The loss of this service would have had a significant detrimental impact on my father. He is 95 years old and is severely sight impaired due to molecular degeneration. He has mobility problems due to chronic arthritis and prostate bone cancer and is hard of hearing. Despite this, he tries hard to be independent and lives alone in his own home with help from his family and professional carers. Thankfully, his mind is good and he gets a lot of pleasure and mental stimulation from keeping up to date with news and sport, etc. He's not able to use a tablet or a computer due to his eyesight and arthritis, so relies on television for news and entertainment. He does watch and listen to the television, but in a very limited way and can easily miss things. He can just manage to see the text on the red button service. This is the only way he can access news and information and check out things of interest and times convenient to him at his own pace. My father has always made a lot of use of this service, at least 10 times a day, to check out news, headlines, sports, headlines and results, weather forecast, lottery results, etc. He would miss it very much if it wasn't able, available and feel lost without it. We really hope you are successful in your efforts to stop the closure of the BBC Red Button Service. Regards, Maureen, on behalf of John. When that came in, uh, Dan, um, it was a hectic time because we had managed to save the button at that time. But it put my, you know, when you get that tingle in your backbone or your, your skin goes on edge and everything. I was like, oh my God, Victor, because I'll, I'll talk about Victor in a second. But I thought Victor was right. Actually, the NFB UK were right to run this campaign. Because these older people are not connected to social media, they're not connected to Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. Their voices, these really important voices were totally being not heard. And I was like so proud to be part of a team that took the chance to do that petition. And to be brutally honest, it was done in two weeks flat um, because we'd just done another big petition on accessibility to the government on the 7th of January. But when we started asking for support for it, it just piled on to, to the fact that we got over 170 organisations mm. at that time to say, please pause the switch off. The reason we went for organisations and not individuals is because there were a couple of petitions people have probably seen online, but they didn't really gather any traction. And that's because the people that need to sign them are not on the internet. That's why yeah, yeah. they're on the red button. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How did people get in touch with you? How did you get out there directly to these people to find out their stories? Well, it was really interesting, to be honest, because um, somebody in the BBC must have a heart of gold. <laughs> because when we did the petition on the 27th of January, they actually put it on the red button. And I'd, already, I'd given confirmation they could put um, my contact details in there. And they found us. Um, I think it was like a lot of parents, sorry, uh, children. I don't know how you explain an older child, but <laughs> older like me, I'm 50 now. They would have seen it or people below that age would have seen it. And they got in contact and say, my father or my grandfather uses this. So it was like a real intergenerational thing going on with different people 
accessing different parts of the media to get back in contact with us. There was another lady got in contact from Newcastle, a hugely private person. And she'd gotten, had a, a really good sort of phone conversation with her because at the age, I think, of 14 or 15, she'd been knocked over on a, a zebra crossing and that had given her epilepsy. So she's lived with epilepsy all her life. And she said, I can't use a mobile phone. I can't use a computer. I've just bought a massive big TV so I can read the teletext properly and everything. And she was devastated. Now, normally you would never get access to people in those situations because they're so private and quiet and hidden away. Um, and that, again, made my back and my skin tingle because I was like, oh, my God, this person is would be hugely affected by this situation. I did speak to her with after we were sort of coming out of lockdown and she was she was even she still will be now willing to talk to the media the BBC because she's petrified of it being turned off. She said, I just couldn't have survived without it during lockdown because she should have had no access to news, pure and simple. And then there was another lady from Scotland. She's disabled. She's got a chronic pain. You know, she can't sleep at night. So the way that she accesses it is literally she keeps reading it, but it's a very calm news to read. So there's no noise. There's no stimulation from that side of it. And it actually helps her get to sleep. It sort of allows her to get to sleep because she can't sleep. And that's what we've got off a lot of people as well. A lot of other older people that have said at night, because they don't want to have the noise on either because of other people that live next to them in flats or if they live in a shared house or, you know, they don't want that noise. They don't want it. So at night they can sit quietly and read that news. And it's a lifeline to them. It's a, it's, um, a lot of people are lonely, so it's like a companionship as well, so they can be connected to people. And it's instant. The funniest, th funniest thing, Dan, it was hilarious when um, the news broke about the saving of the red button in January, because people were going, oh, these people won't know about the red buttons being saved. This is a shame, all on Twitter. And I thought, well, actually, people on the red button get their news before you get it on Twitter, mate. But I couldn't explain that in the tweet. <laughs> it was hilarious, because I've had many stories of people telling me that they are instantly, I think they get the first news in Britain because the main news is always delayed getting it out there, but it's on the red button before. So it is quite interesting to hear all these hidden stories. So with the petition, are you confident that there are a lot of people out there who still want to sign the petition and a lot of stories out there that are yet to be told? When this, you know, when people talk about analogy of an iceberg, you see the top of the iceberg. Like you said, we're the snowflake on the top, because I know, I know, we've only even got to the most tiniest of people, because it is an underreported and under hardly anybody's investigated. I mean, this technology has been around in different forms. I know, but how long has it been around, and how many academics have actually gone out there and asked the question? about the accessibility of it you know you, you can count it on half a finger <laughs> you know yeah. it's not there done and that is what the crying shame is and i think a we have to get the bbc to agree to keep it and then we need the academics on there to go and document all of this history abuse and how we can't leave these old people or elderly people or disabled people um, or people with no access because the internet doesn't work in it. We can't leave them without the access to the news. Because if that happens, what sort of society 
are we and what sort of life do these people have thereafter and a lot of these people well especially during lockdown but and coming out of lockdown they don't get out as much as a lot of people do mm. you know and it's everyone's been touched by loneliness Dan, during the lockdown everybody for a lot of people going out now it's a relief they're going on holiday they're going here there and everywhere but a lot of these people i speak to about the red button it's like well we're still shielding because other people are going to places where they live because it's a nice touristy place and stuff and we can't go out simply can't go out so if you're in 24 7 and i mean 24 7 with no access to nothing oh gosh what's what a life is that yeah i think that's the main reason why the red button has to be saved not just for now but for years and years to come three days to go for the red button switched off and what's going to happen then if they make people more isolated and they can't get information it helps the hard of hearing and deaf and what about this crisis in china people won't know about it how are they going to find out the information how is it going to affect them if they've got no red button and no text to look up all the information on I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, but the events of the last eight months to a year have made it even clearer than ever that the red button has to survive. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Because it's the information given out on the public health side. I mean, nobody would have been informed. Absolutely. They wouldn't have known what was going on. So it has to be saved. There's no doubt about it. Right. When the BBC made the decision to turn off the red button service, or they said they were going to do that, what evidence did they have to do that? Did they only have sort of internet uptake? Would they have had any re real way of measuring who used the red button? I, I, I don't know the, the technicalities, um, but we know that there wasn't, I think it was the equality impact assessment hadn't been done and um, because we looked at, for it on the internet and because it is a public body. So when they looked at taking the license fee away from the over 75s, I think it's, it's just shocking <laughs> to be honest, but that's a whole nother conversation is that we couldn't find anything where they'd actually looked specifically at the impacts on disabled people. Um, right, okay. So that's why we challenge them and give them their due. They were doing this before lockdown. They were getting in contact with the different organisations that had signed the petition. And again, we were going to have the meeting before lockdown, but it just got, well, everybody knows, it just got chaotic and I couldn't concentrate. I, you know, we couldn't concentrate as an organisation because of what was happening. And I don't think the BBC could have done it Anyway, with what was unleashed, you know what I mean? Because all the work patterns, everything was changing. So they have spoken to us, but it was just one conversation in a meeting and the sort of, well, the, the meeting we had, because it had to be on Zoom and everything, it was whatever, but I can't exactly remember what the conversation, but all I got told was I had to manage my expectations because I was saying, oh, we could come in, we could work with you, we could really get into really improving the system as well. And this word sort of managed expectations, and I think that was due to the pressure of keeping the whole BBC service on broadcast. And I get that, but actually, I don't want to have my expectations managed. I want a service, the people that can use in Britain kept on. And for the technical people to sit down and work out how they can do that. Because 
I keep thinking if I can on my phone text somebody and somebody a millisecond later gets that text, they can work the technological issues out. I don't believe it's a technical issue. It's one of values. It's one of a real true commitment to tell the news to all people in Britain. And that's under their, their charter anyway. You know, none of the other channels do teletext. It's, it's, they are. And under the UN Convention for the Rights of Disabled People, access to information, it, it's written into the convention. And the UK has signed that convention. And it has to be what a disabled people, sorry, what a disabled person, they have to have the access and how they need it in a format that they want. So we can actually say this is backed under UN law. The BBC has got the charter and it has to provide this information. So I know there's a funding crisis and I know there's lots of people have got all these different ideas with the BBC, but they have to provide this information. It's as pure as simple as that. Yeah, 100% agreed. And I think most of the people listening to this podcast would definitely agree with that because people did get in touch after our podcast in, I think it was February, saying that they do have relatives, etc., that do still use the Red Button service, but they're not really au fait with the internet. So there's definitely, it touches everybody, I think. Definitely. And this with the internet, again, you know, uh, Victor, come, he was the gentleman that set this campaign up in Leeds. And he... It was quite distressing, really, because in sort of early January, he just like had um, given up because he knew we were under a huge amount of pressure on accessible environments campaign. And previously, I have taken on the BBC twice, one on local BBC radio, and we beat them quite a number of years ago when they did the, the managing quality first management ugh, thing that they did in, in the BBC. And I also took them on with them... Um, it's sort of quite in the background, but I did a lot of analysis on women in radio and looked at how many female leads they were on BBC local radio. And it was extremely low. So I gave that information to other people that went away and did other research on it. And actually we changed the director general then and then you turned and and made a big commitment to put more female voices on because it's all about diversity. It has to be different people, different voices that then allows conversations to happen in different ways and everything. And that's the spice of life. That is what is needed. So I knew that we could, we could make the BBC stand up and listen. And actually quite a lot of other people went, oh, well, actually, yes, we will do this. So I think if, if the people that got in contact, and if anybody that is listening to that, you can share my email address with them and the, the National Federation of the Blind of the UK's email address. You can share my phone number if, if people want to talk to me or text me. And please, can they document how this service impacts their relatives, and especially during the lockdown? The BBC did tell us that they've stopped taking information and evidence, but I think, forget that. <laughs> you know, we have to learn from this experience of lockdown. So personal letters to Tim Davy, just go straight to the top. You know, no messing Everybody knows BBC Broadcasting House address. I think I'm a great believer in challenging everything. So we challenge and say, no, actually, this is what happened in lockdown. This is why it's important to my relative. And and put it back onto their agenda. If they could do it quite quickly, because I don't know when they're going to have this big meeting, but also on the 28th of this month, that is the UN International Day for um, Accessible Information. 
I might say that a little bit wrong, but it's a key date. So what we're going to try and do again is to get this issue back into the media. We're going to be writing um, early this week to um, Tim Davy to ask if he can set some time aside so he can personally discuss this issue with us to keep that pressure on him. Um, he's a brand new director general and he's got to put his stamp on the BBC and it has to be an inclusive one. You know, it's one thing producing content and it's the other thing is if somebody can actually access that content and that is why this service has to stop on. So I would, it's an impassioned plea to people to get the pens out or get their emails going um, and tell the director general straight to the top because all the letters that went to Lord Hall, he's out the door now. He's gone. They might have him somewhere. And the, the BBC, I think they were inundated with complaints with the service going off. And I think their complaint system is broken, to be honest, because if they'd have listened to those complaints, the system, the, the service would never have been switched off. It wouldn't have done. So there's something fundamentally wrong with the, with the complaints procedure. But now we have to tell them what future we want. It's everybody's BBC and he has to understand that. So... Yes. So based on your success with the other campaigns, like the Women in Radio one, are you reasonably confident of success with the Save the Red Button campaign? Oh, definitely. There's no doubt about it. It cannot go off. They have to listen. They can't take a service off that's providing access to disabled people and to elderly people. It's a no-brainer. This, The complaints they had before, they should have not turned it off. So that's it. We're going to win. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. I mean, it's good to hear that we're going to win before the result is actually announced. Oh, definitely. You know, um, we don't don't take our campaigns on lightly. There was a whole um, issue with uh, accessible urban environments, and it took us quite a number of years. But the government actually withdrew guidance on um, the access issues we have with shared space. It's still not totally finished, but if you provide robust evidence and I think we have and if other people can help us with their personal experiences they can't back down the UN convention it's all about lived experience Dan and if we can show this that through listening to people and acting and trusting them I think that'll be a massive statement to the world and Victor who set up this campaign as I say he's very hard of hearing he doesn't get on very well with his hearing aids. He's very partially sighted. My name is Victor Jackson, and I instigated this project because it's so important to people who live on their own, who are elderly and cannot get out. What does this red button service, Teletext service, do? It tells you everything you need to know under the sun in a compact, precise way that's easily read because it's easy to see with white letters on a dark background and it doesn't move unless you press the button to move it onto the next page like you would do an ordinary page in a book because it's static text why is that critically important for disabled people you can browse it in your own time in an armchair in a quiet room without any background noise because a lot of radio programs and television programs you've got drums in the background and what you want to listen to if it's a, of an international importance gets drowned out uh, particularly if you use a hearing aids uh, which i do and he knew that 
this was discrimination. He knew it was. And that's why I decided to help him because it was sitting there in his flat. I'm thinking, I have to help him. The BBC would have to broadcast this. They didn't put it on the national news that day that I was really gutted about because we were filmed for it. But it got out on a lot of the other news channels. And I think and it was put out in a variety of news channels. And that was so interesting because when I was at the market stall, somebody had seen it online. Somebody had heard it on Radio West Midlands. Somebody had heard it on Coventry Warwick. Um, somebody had seen it on Newswatch, you know, with Samira. Um, and was playing the film out to be on the market stall. Other people had seen it in the newspapers. And I think the drama of the petition, you know, we took it right, we kept it completely off social media. Nothing was said, not a word was said because we had to concentrate on getting it. So that day we turned up at the BBC on the 27th. And that was hilarious as well, because I had to ask the director general's office, can we put this petition in? So they knew it was coming and they had to say yes. But we took everybody by storm and we were actually doing an interview with quite a, a big newspaper on the 29th and I had a hard, hard interview. I was in tears, to be honest, when I came off because I thought, why are people not understanding the importance? And I put the phone down, picked my phone up and I saw the tweet from um, one of the MPs, Damien, and it was just like, it's saved. So I had to phone him up. I said, oh, oh you better change your headline, mate. And it was so funny. It was just like a relief because again it was it was this realization that people could actually sleep that night because some an autistic people as well got in contact with an autistic person that was near, near meltdown there would have been so many vulnerable people having personal meltdowns on their own in the uk that night if it had been turned off okay so there is a wide demographic of people that still do use the red button service and you're saying that these people have to have teletext. They, there is no other way that they can access this information. It's unfair to expect them to use the internet. Um, it's unfair to ask them to pay for a, 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 a service that they don't understand. They don't, like Victor said, they don't understand what a server is. They don't know what a connection is. They can't remember passwords. They can't um, click on. And another gentleman said that his, his elderly parents have been both with sort of dementia early stages dementia were scammed on the internet because they just didn't understand it so exposing people to a highly vulnerable internet service out there it's just not right and also i mean what is flabbergasting also is that a lot of britain okay a lot of britain has internet but there's quite a number of places in rural areas that simply don't get access to it the mobile phones, I live in a rural area, and the mobile phone signal is terrible. Um, so all these alternative that the BBC keeps saying, the internet, A, it doesn't cover everywhere in Britain. People can't afford the internet. People on really low incomes can't do it. So they become hugely isolated if this, this service goes off. You know, so I'm hoping we've done enough, but I also know we also need many more stories and we need more support. And anybody can retweet stuff. You know, I'm throwing quite a lot of stuff off my Twitter handle at Sea of Change Film. Um, I've got to be honest, we don't have, we only have a limited number of people with the Federation with social media skills and we're getting ready for our AGM. So the lady in the office who does the Twitter handle, she doesn't really tweet much. And that doesn't mean that we don't, we're not full bore on this campaign. It just means that we're tightly only got a small number of people um, 
to do these things but just because we're small that way doesn't mean the issue is hugely important do you know what i mean so yeah um well yeah i can understand that going straight to the people because they might not necessarily be on social media and a lot a lot of cases that uh, disabilities might preclude them from things like social media and the internet but i think it's good to know this stuff is going on and it is happening even if it's not all over social media as long as it's getting out through the important channels and i think this podcast today is very very useful for not just updating me but everybody that's listening out there because i'm sure well personally i didn't know that all this had been going on i've only seen the things on the news on the bbc etc yeah yeah no definitely well we but and this is the other thing that i, I need a big fanfare behind this one dan <laughs> we've actually got 571 supporting organizations now um and that when we submitted it i think it was around 170 after we submitted it i thought well let's keep the petition open so we did and it's always been open but because of the lockdown it was a natural halt to the petition and then we restarted it again when this um 95 year old f and d day veterans daughter got in contact with us so it's a huge amount of organizations out there supporting us but because we can't go to like outside bbc broadcasting house now i don't think i'd like to take the team down there and before we, we went to number 10 as well we took the team there and i don't think well we know at the moment we can't access it because they won't allow anybody to drop off petitions but i am challenging number 10 door to see if we can hand the petition in again on the 28th of september because if there's moves they want to open the country well actually if that's what you want to do we need to have access to petition to democracy and again it'll only be probably two people that do that all masked up and everything and they still might not let us do it but that's the way that we got the media attention as well trying to get media attention by posting a letter in a post box is usually difficult <laughs> to do we have got three of the bbc's to do it bbc radio essex has covered it bbc radio three counties and bbc leicestershire uh, leicester that is fantastic and but none of the the big news channels have picked up on it yet Newswatch Samira has tweeted us to say that she's on the case so that was fantastic and I think that lady fought the BBC internally on discrimination issues and I thought thank you Samira thank you for having the uh, tenacity and the well this is an important issue this needs to be tackled and I'm going to start going asking questions so um, I like to see what actually comes out of that um, and I think again if the people that are listening here get behind it and and to be honest, Dan, we didn't know that your group existed. I didn't, I've been opened this world of all these people that are still hugely passionate about it. We didn't know that was going on, you know. So it's brilliant we've had this conversation. I did see on Twitter a few days ago, there was an infographic that came out about Switzerland. And there was, I didn't, I only looked at the one thing, but it's a 35% of people, I think, says still uses teletext, you know. That's massive. And I think, you know, I think it's still on in Finland. So I see a lot of tweets about that. I think it's still yeah. on in Germany. And it's, it, is, it just shows you how important this service is. So thank you. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to, to talk. As you probably realised, I like to talk a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you on. And I'm sure the people out there would be more than willing to share the petition and the campaign and the things that you stand for. Because... 
it's something that everybody can get behind. It's just a case, as you say, of making enough noise and getting enough people behind it. I think that's what it is, finding those people who, like me, actually, still use the red button service. This is it. So it's like, you know what, if you, I can give you, I'll send you the, the list of the petition. You have to, it's about 13, 14 pages long with all these organisations. Um, you, you can send a petition, post it, and t- either if you want to take a photo of yourself or just take a photo of the letter going in the, t- the box. Because I know some people don't like their faces on Twitter or anything like that. But just say, this is off to, off to the BBC Director General. Um, and I want his inbox and his in-tray full of letters, full of... Um, the card that, um, that Stephanie, we did a little video at the market yesterday. I had to sneak off the stall. I left the, the guy who runs the market in charge of the bread stall, but don't tell my brother. She sent her letter and she put him a good luck card in and it was really sweet. And she's got this amazing capacity to just bring the whole issue to life. She says, I love this service. You know, it's, it's a brilliant service. Please keep it on. So if he gets these and take, take a photo, if you can, of what you're sending. So you've got a record of it. Um, but you can all send that petition in if you can print it or email it in. Anybody that's part of it, any organisation can join the petition. Individually, we do have a list of individuals that also wanted to join because they also wanted to do it. But uh, So that is an open. We're not making a big thing about that one, but people can put onto the individual names as well. So, Okay, so that's the best way for people to support at the moment. Yeah, definitely. If we can get a copy of everything that's sent as well, because we did, I think we um, tried to get access of all the complaints and stuff that went into the BBC and they're oh, like, yeah. oh, you they just I, get lost. You can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I know that there was lots of handwritten stuff that has gone in. I know it because a lot of these people would have put handwritten stuff in and write to the Radio Times, you know, write to TV Times, write to the newspapers, tell people what's going on, get things in print so we the ones that can tweet it, can put it on social media, can get those voices out. Absolutely agreed. Everybody at the Teletext Star podcast completely concurs. We've got to keep the red button going. But Sarah, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and hear more about the Save the Red Button campaign. Sounds like it's coming to crunch time. So yeah, guys, get your support in, please. And and thank thank you so much, Dan. And it's been a brilliant pleasure from our side as well. And and yeah, get your support in and just ring me, text me. I'm open twenty four hours a day and never sleep. <laughs> yes, we'll put the contact information in the post and actually in the iTunes information for this, so you can take a look at that. Stephanie, have you got a message for the new Director General, Tim Davy? Yes, Sarah, please keep the red button. It's so important to myself and a lot of other people, particularly deaf people who use the red button service. I love the red button service for travel, weather, sports results, all sorts of different things, finance, stocks and shares, all sorts of different things. It is such a useful commodity that the BBC do on the tellies. It'd be such a shame for it to go. Please keep the red button. It's wonderful. It's such a, a thing for, not just for myself, but lots of people. It's one of the things that's so good on the television that the BBC do, as well as the BBC programmes. Please keep the red button. Cheers, Sarah. We'll get there. We'll keep it. I know we will. Thank you. Uh, 
And have you got a message to the new Director General, Tim Davey of the BBC? Yeah, well, I'm sure everybody has because he's only just taken over the job. So I'm sure everybody's got all sorts of things for him to do. And I think uh, I would just like him to sit in the corner just for a few minutes uh, to say to himself, what are we doing, doing away with the sea facts which all these people rely on? And they do rely on it quite a lot. It's not something that can be flippantly passed over. It has to be examined. And I'm sure the examination will come out that we need that CFAX more than ever. So, is there anything else that you wanted to say, Sarah? Just a massive thank you for your group and for all the people that are passionately have ever worked on Teletext, still working on it, um, and has got this belief that it is, again, part of the whole BBC mix. Because without you... Um, a lot of people would have not have had such an enriched and informed, educated and connected lives. Um, I was completely shocked to learn what I've learned. Um, and I think without your talent and your tenacity and your understanding of, of communication, um, Britain would have been a much more sort of isolated place for many, many people. So um, a massive thank you from my heart, from me and for all the people that are backing this petition to save that BBC Red Button Teletext service. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. It's a brilliant service. It will be a backward step in time if you take it off, because I think that it is superior in its quality to a lot of the stuff that's on the Internet itself. It's full of adverts and lies and cheats, and you can do without it. This is brilliant. It tells you the facts, the plain facts, and nothing but the facts. I don't need an internet connection. I don't need a provider. I don't need anybody to put it right when it's wrong. I can do without all the hassles and all the, all the scams.